we hear the famous scripture, the Lord's Prayer, and it's, it's very easy to see what God is trying to say. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pretty simple. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's desire in his prayer that he taught us how to pray was to bring heaven to earth. So it's necessary that we don't spend our time and our lives focus on what earth is doing to us and try to take our earth to heaven. We spend a lot of our time telling heaven about the problems on earth instead of telling earth about how big heaven is in our lives and bringing heaven down. We constantly want to bring earth up, right? I think about it. Even in our own lives, when we start to contemplate and theorize about how heaven's going to be, we always have to interject everything we understand from earth into heaven, right? It says that there are streets of gold in heaven, but you can see through them. Right now, like four of you are like, that doesn't make any sense. It's heaven. It doesn't go by our rules. Stop trying to intercede and interject earth into heaven. It's supposed to be the opposite way around. Look, you are spirit and you are flesh. They are two different things, okay? You are temporarily in a flesh body. You inhabit a flesh body, but you are eternal. You are a spirit. And there is something more than the trouble of this world that's waiting for you for eternity. Most of you in here, if you've ever gone through any debt management, okay, if you've ever gone through anything that taught you debt, it said, hey, you need to hunker down, you need to get serious, you need to just bite the bullet on this, you need to get real, and just go through the hard year and get everything paid off, right? Here's your plan, but you're going to have to cut out this and cut out that, right? You ever gone through something like that where they, they get you disciplined and you say, okay, I can tough it for a year, I can do that for this year, if it means that rest of my life will, will uh, uh, get on track and I'll be blessed. I can make the hard choices and sacrifices now to get back on track, right? But we don't really think of heaven that way. We, we don't realize that the hard choices and the sacrifices we make here echo in eternity. We need to be people that are worried about eternity, not worried about tomorrow. Amen. So let's talk about how we're supposed to let go and build the kingdom of God. And the best way to do that is understand that we are not the shepherd. We are the sheep. Someone give me a bat. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's really good. Okay. That's good. I'm proud of you guys. All right. So we have to learn to relinquish to the good shepherd our lives so that we can grow more and build this kingdom here. So let's talk from Psalms 23, 1 through uh, uh, 6, I believe it is. Psalms 23, and I'm going to read this to you. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, a, uh, even the, thank you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. So we're talking out of Psalms 23. Take that off. We're talking out of Psalms 23. So I want you to look at this. 
The Lord is my shepherd. Are you your own shepherd? Who's the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. But so many times in our life, we're the ones trying to steer it. We're the ones trying to guide it. We're the ones trying to lead it. But I want you to look at what it says here. It says this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me say, makes me. See, there are times in our life when we have to go through a process. When we first start to surrender our lives to God, there is a system where God takes us to a path where he can lead us beside still waters, where he can lead us to victory, where he can lead us to comfort, where he can lead us to more than we are right now. And it usually starts with, he has to make us. And that's the whole point of surrender. When you give your life to God, the first thing is, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, right? Some of you guys, somebody made you come to church, right? Somebody was like, no, you need to come to church. And finally, like, finally go to church, go to church, right? And so it's okay if your relationship with God or you're in a place where God has to make you do some things. Be surrendered enough to the shepherd that you allow yourself to be made to do some things, right? Some kids in here are like, oh, I understand that one for sure, right? What's wrong with my room? I like to have those wrappers as mementos of the wonderful candies I've eaten all my life. I want to remember that momentous occasion when I ate that Butterfinger. It was a good day, okay? I won two Fortnite battles, all right? I got three new Minecraft friends, right? And my TikTok went viral, so it's good. All the adults are like, I don't... Every adult in the room was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I understand. You guys need to catch up. Know what your kids are doing. If you're a parent in this room and you don't understand what I'm just saying, you are out of touch. Get with your children and talk to them. Seriously. Like, talk to your kids. I'm not kidding. Talk to your children. If you're a grandparent in this room, get involved in your grandkids' lives. You should have understood some of what I just said. All right? So, okay, I'm going to make you. All right? How's that? All right? Kids, make them. No, they're like, no, they don't have to. It's cool. It's cool. Right? It's cool. All right, so it starts out, it says, um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Then it says, he leads me. Say, leads me. Then it says, he guides me. Say, guides me. Then it says, after he makes me, then he starts to lead me. Then he starts to guide me. Then I walk. So I want you to understand this process. Sometimes he's got to make you get up. Come on, you can't lay there on the floor. You guys want to know the difference between me and a lot of other pastors? A lot of other pastors will lie down on the floor with you and console you and rub your head and tell you it's okay. I understand you're going through. I'm not that guy. I'm the kind of shepherd that says, get up. We got places to go. You are not lying down in green pastures. I'm not letting you die in this desert. So once he makes you, then it says he leads you. Come on, come on, let's go. Come on. And then it says he guides you. So once you surrender to him, then he can lead you. And then pretty soon he can just kind of guide you. All right, just, just follow what I'm doing. Follow what I'm doing. And then when you're following him, you can actually walk for yourself. After that, it says that he comforts me. So when we begin to walk, walking sometimes is a long process. It's a hard process. And sometimes in the middle of that walk, we need some comfort. Right? This is a long walk. I know. It's okay. See, the good shepherd, the job of a pastor, the job of the shepherd is to comfort those that are walking. Not to lie down with you when you are dying. That's not my job. That's not an apostle's job. I'm here to comfort you when you're walking and tell you, come on, take a rest, get back in this. It's okay, we got you. 
Okay, And then once you are comforted in the middle of that process, then we are moving. It says that his goodness and his love will follow me. So he, he leads, he makes me, then he leads me, then he guides me in front. And then when I start walking, he walks beside me and comforts me. And once I'm comforted, then he lets me go on my own and he follows me with his goodness and his mercy. This is the recipe to find out where you are in your walk right now. And sometimes we're at the makes me, and sometimes we're at the follows me, and sometimes we're in between, and we go back and forth, right? Okay, how many of you guys, parents in here, your kids uh, uh, learned to ride a bike, you helped them learn how to ride a bike? This is the exact same system of learning bike. My son, Isaiah, he doesn't really, he's not a big bike rider, but he even wasn't when he was a kid. And I remember to get him even on the bike, I had to put football pads on him and a football helmet, all right? He was like, I ain't doing this. I'm going to die, right? So he, he just wasn't into riding bikes. So I was like, you have to learn how to ride a bike. You can't be a man and not know how to ride a bike, right? So last year, we taught him how to ride a bike. <laughs> he was about eight. So wait, he was about eight. And, and I'm teaching him how to ride this bike. And he's got the big football helmets and that, right? And I'm trying to encourage him. At first, he's like, I don't want to get on it, right? I'm like, boy, get on the bike. I had to make him, amen? I had to make him. And then I said, don't worry, I got you. And I held the handlebars and I started to move him. I started to lead him, right? And then once he was, was moving a little bit, I just grabbed the, the seat and I began to guide him to make sure he was okay. So I was guiding him. And then once he was going, he started to walk him. I'm like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And I began to comfort him and let him know, you're doing good, you got this. And then once finally he felt comfortable on that bike, I let go and I followed alongside of him just in case he got in trouble. I followed alongside just in case until I knew he had it, until I knew he was good and he could go on his own. And then it was all encouragement from there on out. And that's the same way that God treats you. You can't ask God to constantly have to make you and think you are maturing. And it doesn't just apply to your spiritual life. Some of you have to be made to go to work. Some of you got to be made to have a good relationship with your spouse. Some of you spouses in here have to make your spouse have a good relationship with the kids. Like there has to be a maturing. And wherever you are on that path, you need to analyze where you are. But the good shepherd starts with this process. Look, you, we have to get to a place where we are finally just good. Where we are saying, look, Lord, I am going the direction you called me to go. I'm going to go. I want your presence to follow me. I want your presence to be with me. And Lord, if I get a little bit weak, I want you to comfort me. And so I don't really care where I am. I'm not going to be too concerned with my surroundings. Just like David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For my God, he comforts and he guides me. I'm not afraid wherever I am. So I don't care if I'm standing in a garden or standing in a ghetto God's got me you were never called to fear in the fight you were called to feast in the fight and so what God said is that I want to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies he says he comforts us so that he can prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies how many of you guys understand that there are seasons in your life where you are walking through valleys of shadows of death and you just feel like the enemy is all around you encircling you you ever feel like that? But it doesn't say in the scripture, what's interesting about this is, it doesn't say pick up your sword and fight in this one. It doesn't say God will fight. 
It doesn't even talk about the battle. What it says is, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Now, can you picture this? You're surrounded by enemies. You're surrounded by those that seek to kill you, that want to destroy you. How many of you guys understand you are in a spiritual fight that every day demonic forces and the enemy wants to kill you? He wants to crush you. He wants to snuff out your dreams. He wants to snuff out your hope. He wants to take your faith from you so that you can finish this world living in a lack of victory. Because every time he hurts you, he hurts the father. And that's really what he's interested in. Come on, some of you parents in here understand exactly what I'm saying, right? Somebody hurts you, you're like, oh, whatever. But they hurt your kid. Ooh, right? Right? I just, I just saw claws from all the mama bears in the room. I didn't hurt your kids. We're good. We're good. It was just an analogy. We're good. Okay? So I don't care. I don't, so we have to learn to never stop in the fear of the fight. You were called to feast in the fight. So let me explain so here's this table that God has prepared. A banquet table before you in the presence of your enemies. So there's a moment in your battle where God says, hey, come have a break on me. And we sit down at that table and we have no worry about the enemies that surround us. How many of you guys would like to live a life where there are no worries about the enemies that surround you? About that stuff that comes at you. It doesn't say there's not enemies. It doesn't say there's not trouble around you, the, Jesus said, take heart. In this world, you will have many troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we need to understand that there is a table that God has set before us. And that we, in those moments, in those dry seasons, in those fights that we go through, God will come and bring us comfort. He will bring sustenance. He will bring rain in the dry seasons. Like the prophet Elijah who spoke rain in the dry season, this is the season where what you say you will see. So you need to learn to say what you want to see. And not just focus on the battle in front of you. Because you will grow weary from the fight. And some of you guys, you're so consumed by where you are that you don't really see where God is taking you. And so you are obsessed with the location and not the destination. There is a difference between your landing place and your resting place. You can rest in the valley of the shadow of death with your enemy all around you when you focus on the feast, not the fight. The enemy came to spoil your lunch. You need to focus on the deliverer, not the defiler of snack time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are not meant to end in a dry land of famine. There is no dead season. Let me say it, come on, listen to me. There is no dead season in heaven. There is no dead season in heaven. There is no dry season in heaven. He wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven. That means it's God's will for your dead season to live. It's his will for your dry season to be saturated. If you are walking in a dry season in your journey, remember, dry seasons are a detour and never a destination. First Corinthians 10, 21 says this. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. 
You have to learn to not let the enemy have a voice at your table. See, the Lord has prepared a table before you. And what we do so many times is though the enemy might surround us, we give him a seat right at our table. We live our lives in an attitude that says, Lord, I want you to live with me, but I'm going to keep the enemy right here. Because I listen to him and I allow him to infect my thoughts and my actions and my deeds. I allow him to infect my emotions. If the enemy can speak to you, you've already given him a seat at your table. Peasants don't speak to kings. And even if they're allowed in the court, they're not allowed to have a conversation with him. But when you're seated at the table of a king, you have his ear. And so many times what we are is we are having an intimate, intimate encounter with God in our lives and we give the enemy a place at our table and we allow him to speak to us. And the enemy's job is he wants to sit at your table and he wants to tempt you away from the Lord's because you can't be in the presence of both. He wants to tempt you away from your table. He wants to get you back in the battle you don't belong in. See, because while you are taking a rest, the enemy is waiting to pounce you. And if, as long as you sit at the table of the Lord, you're not in the battle you don't belong in. When you are seated at his table, that fight is no longer yours. But the enemy is not content with that. So he wants to pick a fight with you and make you think it's your fight every single time. If you ever want to see the kingdom of God built in your life, you're going to have to pick your battles. You're going to have to figure out which battles are yours and which ones belong to God. The serpent's cunning. Don't get me wrong. He has been trying to steal man's resting season since the beginning. He was allowed to trespass in the garden and he convinced man to eat the fruit of the enemy instead of the fruit of God. And when we did that, we got enlisted into a war that was not our own. The battle was never intended for us. The battle belonged to the Lord. It wasn't our fight. We were in the garden in communion with God. And when the, when the serpent came and got a hold of our table and said, here, the fruit I have is better. You need to eat this and you'll know. And he got involved in a war between Satan and God that we were never intended to be in. And he drug us all into a fight we don't belong in. And Jesus came to say, this is not your fight. It's my fight. And if you use me and let my blood cover your life and work through me and let me live through you, I'll fight your battles. I'll win your battles. It's my fight, not yours. We don't fight flesh and blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. Not every enemy, look, this is a lesson for you. Not every enemy surrounding us is for us to fight. Whew, I got to remind myself of that every time I am surrounded by keyboard warriors on Facebook. Can I get a name from somebody? Yeah. Amen. Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. That's me right there, right? Gosh, I don't know how many times on Facebook I see posts and stuff. And ooh, I tell you what, the ones that get me are the Pharisees, okay? The people that post on there, right? Ooh, you know, and they're always calling people out for everything. If you post three sentences about God, some Pharisee will get on there and post about how you didn't talk about grace or you didn't talk about works or you didn't talk about sin or you didn't talk about hell or you didn't talk about forgiveness. Like you, you, you're supposed to, every single two lines you write on Facebook is supposed to contain the whole gospel. I read the Bible. It's a big book. Those pages are thin. You want me to put it on every post? 
There's always somebody that's got a critical thing. Well, I didn't hear this in your post. It was 10 words. Like, go away. Right? Unfriend. Right? Not every battle you belong in. You have to pick your battles. Right? And so I handle it the correct way. I didn't tell you what you think about. Right? Uh, delete. Oh, that's a send button. Ah! <laughs> I've done it once or twice. Come on, somebody's done it in here once or twice. You're like, da -da 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 -da. enter. No! I was trying to go to the next line. Why did I set it up to just post when I hit enter? Some of you done it. Some of you done it. You done it to me, right? I know because you're because you're hitting delete as fast as you can on Messenger, as quick as you can. You're like, please, don't see this. And all I see is like, uh, sender deleted comment. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna have to have a meeting. There's people here like, yep, I did that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, I can't believe it. You're the dumbest pastor in the whole world. Delete, I appreciate you. <laughs> Not every enemy surrounded by us is for us to fight. Okay? We need to understand that not every fight belongs to us. And in fact, God set this precedent all throughout the entire Old Testament. There are so many examples of the children of Israel engaged in war, engaged in an enemy that they did not have to fight. King Cyrus came in and conquered Babylon, not the Jewish people. They didn't lift up a sword against Babylon. King Cyrus came in and defeated them for him in 539 BC. So even way long ago in the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, God has been fighting our battles. Dude, let me tell you what, the Jewish people just got to sit back and watch this other king destroy this other king that had nothing to do with them. Talk about a dinner show, right? They just sat at the table of the Lord. Cyrus did the fighting, Israel didn't lift a sword. So how many times did God's chosen people get a victory while they just sat at the table? They didn't lift a sword to get free of slavery in Egypt. They didn't lift a sword against the Assyrians. Gideon didn't have to lift a sword with his 300 men. Jehoshaphat won the battle over the Moabs without lifting a sword. And in our lifetime, in 1948, Israel took back their land, their language, and their faith without lifting a sword against Hitler. The Bible in real life a story of biblical proportions. We see it all through the Old Testament. Nehemiah went to the king and said, hey, I know like you've conquered us and we're slaves and stuff, but uh, can I go back to Israel and rebuild everything? And the king said, sure, okay. I appreciate that, so can I go now? Yeah, sure, go ahead. So I don't have anything to rebuild stuff. Can I have a bunch of supplies to rebuild everything? Sure. Why not? Okay, so those supplies are worth like a lot of money. Can I have some people to go with me and protect all the stuff? I don't see why not. Go ahead. And everything that Nehemiah asked for, the, this king who had conquered them, said, sure, you can have everything, and I'll give you men to protect it. For no reason. None. God has been doing this with the Hebrew children since the beginning. 
where there are battles. There are moments where we should be defeated, where God says this. He says, you know what? When, when you're, you're taking your army and you're going into battle, do me this. Put the praise and worship team in the front. Praise me all the way there. And they praised them all the way there. When they got there, the enemy killed themselves. Some of you guys are so busy swinging your sword, you don't realize that if you just drop on your knees instead of standing up and swinging, God would win the battle for you. You are tired because you are fighting something that was never yours to fight. It was never yours, and you got to learn the difference. The Lord is our shepherd. Let him shepherd you. The sheep don't fight the wolves. Look, there are times for battle. There is time for spiritual warfare. But you need to understand what that means. And you need to understand the difference between it's yours and it's his. Because I think what we do is we get excited, especially men in here. We're like, yeah, let's fight some stuff. Let's fight some stuff, right? Several of you are like, fight some stuff. And if you're not really like a tough guy in the physical, like you want to fight some stuff, that's why you love church even more because you're like, I'll fight some demons. Let's go. Let's go. You want to fight me? No, no, no. Just demons. That's what I fight. I fight. I don't like to work out. It hurts. Okay? So I don't do that. I like, the only thing I like to lift is my hamburger to my face. Okay? But in the spirit, I am mighty. And so we want to fight everything that doesn't belong to us. And we wonder why we're weary, tired, and worn out all the time. Okay? Your spiritual muscles are sore. Because you're in a fight you don't belong in. The Lord is your shepherd. Let him shepherd you. Let him guide you. Let Holy Spirit have room in your heart to direct you in times of battle. And times of building. Some of you are always at war, never at rest. You have to have seasons of rest in your life. You cannot just live in war. And where you build is in seasons of rest. Did you, did you know that your season of rest doesn't, isn't just when there's no battle? It's when your enemy is actually surrounding you. It's actually in the middle of the battle. You can stop and have a meal with the Lord and rejuvenate and recharge yourself and have rest in the middle of that battle. See, because what happened is we need to understand in the garden what God said. So when Satan came in and tempted man and they ate the fruit, God showed up and said this, this is not your fight. Let me show you. He goes, I don't like what you did to the woman. So what I'm going to do is put an enmity between you and her, a hatred between you and her and between her seed and you. He, meaning Jesus, will come and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. See, the battle against Satan was never ours. It was always for Jesus to crush his head. And some of you guys are walking around here with bruised heels all the time because you think you have to do it all in your own strength. You think it's your strength that defeats the enemy instead of his strength through us. <laughs> so you're always taking on the enemy instead of enlisting Jesus to fight. You're always trying to battle plan instead of resting in his presence. It's okay to rest in him. It's okay to wait on him. It's okay to give thanks for victories that have not happened yet. When you say a thing, you'll see a thing. It's time to build faith. It's time to build hope. It's time to build love. It's time to build God's kingdom by letting the shepherd guide you into his supernatural power, not your own. So I choose not to grow weary in doing good, but to rest in my walk. And when I'm walking in a dry place on my way to my promise, I'll stop and rest at his table of the one who brings the bread of life. 
The one whose water means I'll never thirst anymore. Jeremiah 31.25 says, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. So how do we begin to rest? How do we begin to rest? We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to sit at the table. How? That's really good rhetoric, pastor. Sounds good. What do I do tomorrow? Psalms 51.10. Psalms 51 says this. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Joy is a form of rest. When you surrender your life to God, when you are willing, when God has to battle you on everything, you're weary from his fight with you. But when you willingly surrender to God's plan for your life, you will find rest. Some of you are worn out trying to do life your own way and tiptoeing around surrendering to him. And you're constantly in a mental battle over it. And you defeat yourself all the time. Guilt comes in, shame comes in because you're not following him, because you're not doing what he asked to do. It's a constant fight. When you just surrender to the Lord, when you have a willing spirit, that sustains you. Amen? Choose joy. Your yes to God will bring your rest. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says this. 11, 29, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learning from God, hearing his word, reading his word, will bring you rest. Does that sound like anything I said last week? Hearing his word and reading his word will bring rest into your life. You can't be afraid to crack open the Bible. You can't be afraid to read his word. When you read his word, some of you know this. Like if you got into the word this week, like we asked you to do last week, then you felt it. You felt this like strength rise up in you. That's called your flesh began to, to not be the one dictating everything. And your soul was not weary and worn out. There's a refreshing that comes from being at church, hearing his word, reading his word, having a conversation with him. It'll bring you rest. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation be prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Say thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Prayer and thanksgiving will bring you rest. Prayer and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving being praise, worship when we lift up his name, when we glorify him, it will bring rest to your weary soul. It's really hard to fight and focus on the enemy when all you're doing is looking at the one you love. All right? The enemy comes up and he's like, let me whisper some stuff in his ear and you're just like, talk to the hand. Right? Because I'm looking at him. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So another way to bring rest into your life, stop living in guilt and shame. And I'm closing right now. Stop living in guilt and shame. 
if you've made mistakes, it's okay. What's not okay is to camp where you don't belong. You can stop and get comforted. You can have a meal on the way, but where you are, your resting place is not your landing place. You need to stop camping where you rest and understand that God has a final destination for you. You are not supposed to camp in guilt and shame. You are not supposed to build a monument to your failures in the place you are. You're supposed to press on. That means you repent when you make a mistake. It doesn't mean you're free to make mistakes all you want and you can just do whatever you want with no consequences. What I'm saying is when you do blow it, don't memorialize it. Don't live in it. Some of you are still thinking about last year's mistakes. Last year's over. You woke up today, which means you get another opportunity to fix it. Don't camp there. Stop letting the enemy tell you what you can't do. Let me tell you something in life. Let me tell you about what people will do. The enemy uses people all the time. You will spend your life around people that will always tell you what you can't do. And very few of them will ever tell you what you can do. So you better start listening to the right voices in your head and your God and the people around you that will tell you that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But stop doing it on your own strength because you're not going to get there. You won't get there in your own strength. You won't get there in your own strength. You'll never make it on your own strength. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, not yourself. You need to eat from his table and get the enemy off your table. He doesn't belong there. If he's at your table, you're allowed to trespass. Forgive us of our trespasses, God, and those we allowed to trespass in our lives. Some of you have people in your lives that keep speaking into your life and you keep listening. You let them trespass. Who do you think brought them there? The enemy. You've given them a seat at your table. They could be in your lives, but they don't belong at your table. You go to theirs. Stop giving them a place at your table. Stop letting people who think you can't tell you if it's true. You don't know the difference? If somebody's life doesn't look like the life you want, then their can't means absolutely nothing. I don't care what this world... See, some of you need to stop letting the world sit at your table. You need to stop letting the natural sit at your table. You keep allowing the natural to tell you what supernatural things you can and can't do. You, kept, you keep saying, but the circumstances says this. There's a big difference between fact and truth. Fact, you're sick. Truth is God can heal you. The fact, you don't have enough money at the end of the month. The truth is God can bless you abundantly and beyond all that you can ever expect or receive. God can overflow your cup. That's the truth. There are some of you in here that have had facts like that. I don't have enough. I don't know what I'm going to do. Some of you listen to the facts too much and not the truth. 
You need to listen to the truth of God's word. And when you sit at his table, when you sit and you spend time with him, the enemy no longer has a voice in your head. He no longer has access to you. When you let the good shepherd lead and guide you and stop thinking that you need to be the one that shepherds your own life. Some of you have steered your own life and that's why lions come to devour you because there's no shepherd to protect you. That's why wolves come out and bite you because there's no shepherd to protect you. You've been living your life on your own terms, your own way, and occasionally turning and say, thank you, God. And he's like, what are you talking about? You never even got to the point you let me make you. I'm not leading you. I'm not guiding you. I sure as heck ain't following you where you're going. Moses said to him, God said to Moses, you can go to the Holy Land, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. I know that's your promise, but I want your presence. I'm not going. And some of you have gone on to things that you want in your heart. Even some things that God has called you to, but you haven't taken him with you. You haven't taken him with you. You haven't let him guide you all the way there. You just, he just pointed and said, you know, I got things for you. I got big plans. And you said, yeah, I like that. I'm going to go do it then. God's like that. That's not where I had you. And you're over there wondering why you're fighting enemies you were never intended to fight. And then all of a sudden when you're in trouble, you're crying out to God, God, I don't understand. Where are you? He says, I'm still standing here waiting to go the direction I've called you to. Now, if you just come back over to me, sit down at my table, let me comfort you. Let me give you some rest. Then we'll go together. Okay? Try again. Amen? Any parents in the room have kids that you go somewhere new and they try running ahead of you? They don't have any clue where you're walking to? Right? Mine do it all the time. And I'll slow down on purpose and they'll get ahead of me. And I'll just slow down. I'll go, where are you going? Why do you think you know where we're going? What? Huh? And if they, if they, if they don't notice... I'll slip into where we're going without them seeing where we went. Right? They're still walking down the strip mall trying to go to some store. I don't know where they're going, where they think they're ending up at. But I'm already inside the store shopping. I bought me something. I don't know. what You were going to get some new pants, but you went to the wrong store. I don't know where you're at. You ended up in Ulta. We'll get you some eyeshadow. I don't know what you're going to do with that. But I was going to Ross. But that looks like a good shade on you. So it's okay. Let him lead until he releases you to a place where he trusts the direction you're going. Until he gives you the map you're called to go to. And then let him comfort you in it. And some of you are in the place where he just needs to make you do it. And you know it. You're like, man, God, you got to make me do it. There have been times in my life where I'm like, God, you got to make me do it. I don't want to. I don't want to. But you know what? I can tell you this conclusively. Anytime that God has made me do it, I've always been grateful that he did. It's always been the best plan. It's always been the best destination. And I can tell you the place I'm at in my life right now is so much better than the dry season. It's so much better than when I have to walk through valleys of shadows and death on my own. You will always have to walk through valleys and shadows. You will always walk through those places. Whether or not you do it alone is up to you. 
and there's a deep conviction coming over some of you right now. Like you're thinking about those situations in your life that you've determined on your own, done it on your own. You make your own decisions and you know every single time, whether they're small decisions or sinful decisions or whatever those decisions are, they take a piece of your soul every time. They grab a piece of you and they leave you empty every single time. I'm not chastising you. I'm not beating you up. I'm telling you, I want you to be full. I want you to be full, but you got to stay at the table. I want you to be full and stop letting the enemy empty out your life by the decisions you make and the directions you go. It has to be one of those things where you make a decision and you say it so you can see it and you refuse to turn from it. It has to be a deep conviction down in your soul that says, I won't live empty anymore. I will not allow the things of this world to suck me empty, to make me dry anymore. Bow your heads. Father God, we refuse to sit at the enemy's table. We refuse to drink from the cup of demons and the enemy's table. That is not the table we choose to be on this morning, Lord. Lord, stir us to be people that understand that we don't have to fight every battle. That we can fight with our praise, that we can fight with our thanksgiving, that we can fight in rest, that we can just simply be in your presence and give you thanks for the victory and it will be ours. That we don't have to run ourselves ragged trying to prove that we're tough. You're the shepherd. Make us the sheep, Father. Help us to follow you. To give in to your will. To not allow the circumstances of a natural world to dictate how we see the supernatural anymore.